Welcome back to the Rights and Liberties Podcast. We're discussing the Federalist Papers. Today we are talking about Federalist 62. We typically organize these podcasts around three big ideas. Here are three big ideas about Federalist 62. Big Idea 1. In Federalist 62, Madison described and defended the Constitution's rules concerning the Senate, such as the legal qualifications for service in the Senate, methods of choosing its members and the length of their terms, and the size and powers of the Senate. Big Idea 2. In the process of describing the rules concerning the Senate, Madison offered a more detailed account of the system of representation in the U.S. Congress and its potential effects, noting the origins of this system of representation and compromise. Big Idea 3. Madison in Federalist 62 offered a defense of stability of law and policy, arguing that instability in law and policy would be harmful, other things being equal, and suggesting that the Senate would help serve as a hedge against the potential for frequent changes in law and policy. Big Idea 1 focuses on the more straightforward elements of Madison's argument in Federalist 62. The Federalist Papers are written to explain the benefits of the Constitution, and Federalist 62 focuses on the rules in the Constitution associated with the Senate. Because the Constitution describes a legislature with two houses, Part of Madison's explanation took the form of explaining the distinctions between the two houses. For instance, the qualifications for senators include a higher age threshold and longer term of citizenship in advance of election than do those for members of the House of Representatives. Madison justified these distinctions by pointing to the advantages of older age in an office, such as being a member of the Senate. With reference to the longer term of citizenship set down for members of the Senate, Madison offered this explanation, quoting Madison here, quote, The term of nine years appears to be a prudent mediocrity between a total exclusion of adopted citizens, whose merits and talents may claim a share in the public confidence, and an indiscriminate and hasty admission of them, which might create a channel for foreign influence on the national councils. Likewise, Madison reminded his readers that senators would be chosen not through direct election, but rather through appointment by state legislators. Madison characterized the Senate's role in serving as a check on potential corruption in government in part by adding an extra step to any potentially illegitimate acts of the government. One benefit of creating a different method for choosing senators would be to make the two houses of the legislature more dissimilar as a way to increase the probability that such corruption would fail. Quite apart from corruption, or as Madison put it at one point, quote, sinister combinations, end quote, Madison pointed to the fact that the Senate would protect against lawmaking grounded in passion rather than reason, quoting Madison on this, quote, The necessity of a Senate is not less indicated by the propensity of all single and numerous assemblies to yield to the impulse of sudden and violent passions, and to be seduced by factious leaders into intemperate and pernicious resolutions, end quote. This protection would be reinforced on Madison's account both by the small size of the Senate and the longer terms of its members relative to the House of Representatives. Furthermore, the longer terms of the members of the Senate would allow for better lawmaking, Quoting Madison once again, quote, It is not possible that an assembly of men called for the most part from pursuits of a private nature, continued in appointment for a short time, and led by no permanent motive to devote the intervals of public occupation to a study of the laws, the affairs, and the comprehensive interests of their country, should, if left wholly to themselves, 
escape a variety of important errors in the exercise of their legislative trust, end quote. Big Idea 2 focuses specifically on Madison's account of the system of representation in the U.S. Congress. Madison referred to the fact that the character of the bicameral Congress was a result of compromise, quoting Madison on this point, quote, The equality of representation in the Senate is another point which, being evidently the result of compromise between the opposite pretensions of the large and the small states, does not call for much discussion, end quote. This is well known, but Madison drew from this fact a surprising and subtle point. One might think of the Constitution as grounded in theories about how government works. This is well known, but Madison drew from this fact a surprising and subtle point. One might think of the Constitution as grounded in theories about how government works, but Madison seems to have suggested that the element of compromise in the Constitution would mean that analysis of the legislature should be with respect to prudence rather than theory alone. Course of doing so, he quoted a letter signed by George Washington in his capacity as president of the convention, describing the spirit of amity in which the members of the convention sought to craft the Constitution. Quoting Madison here, quote, If indeed it be right that among a people thoroughly incorporated into one nation, every district ought to have a proportional share in the government, and that among independent and sovereign states, bound together by a simple league, the parties, however unequal in size, ought to have an equal share in the common councils. It does not appear to be without some reason that in a compound republic, partaking both of the national and federal character, the government ought to be founded on a mixture of the principles of proportional and equal representation. But it is superfluous to try, by the standard of theory, a part of the Constitution which is allowed on all hands to be the result, not of theory, but, and here Madison quotes Washington, Quote, of a spirit of amity, and that mutual deference and concession which the peculiarity of our political situation rendered indispensable. End quote. So this is Big Idea 2. Madison's reminder that the composition of the legislature should be thought of more in terms of a compromise or blend of principles than in terms of a straightforward theory. And part of what would make the system work would be, as Madison saw it, as much a function of realistic political considerations as elegant theoretical constructions. Quoting Madison on this point, quote, No law or resolution can now be passed without the concurrence, first, of a majority of the people, and then of a majority of the states. It must be acknowledged that this complicated check on legislation may in some instances be injurious as well as beneficial, and that the peculiar defense which it involves in favor of the smaller states would be more rational if any interests common to them and distinct from those of the other states would otherwise be exposed to peculiar danger. But as the larger states will always be able, by their power over the supplies, to defeat unreasonable exertions of this prerogative by the lesser states, and as the faculty and excess of lawmaking seem to be the diseases to which our governments are most liable, it is not impossible that this part of the Constitution may be more convenient in practice than it appears to many in contemplation. End quote. Big Idea 3 concerns Madison's defense of stability in law and policy, offered in the course of explaining the benefits of the Senate. Madison explained this as in part a function of the stability of the Senate membership itself, quoting Madison here, quote, The mutability in the public councils arising from a rapid succession of new members, however qualified they may be, points out in the strongest manner the necessity of some stable institution in the government, end quote. The effects of instability in policy would shape international politics, quoting Madison, quote, 
Every nation, consequently, whose affairs betray a want of wisdom and stability, may calculate on every loss which can be sustained from the more systematic policy of their wiser neighbors. But the best instruction on this subject is unhappily conveyed to America by the example of her own situation. She finds that she is held in no respect by her friends, that she is the derision of her enemies, and that she is a prey to every nation which has an interest in speculating on her fluctuating counsels and embarrassed affairs. End quote. It would likewise be harmful to domestic politics, quoting Madison here, quote, It poisons the blessing of liberty itself. It will be of little avail to the people that the laws are made by men of their own choice, if the laws be so voluminous that they cannot be read, or so incoherent that they cannot be understood, if they be repealed or revised before they are promulgated, or undergo such incessant changes that no man, who knows what the law is today, can guess what it will be tomorrow. Law is defined to be a rule of action, but how can that be a rule which is little known and less fixed? End quote. Finally, Madison pointed to the effects of instability in law and policy within society, causing tensions between different social classes, quoting Madison on this, quote, Another effect of public instability is the unreasonable advantage it gives to the sagacious, the enterprising, and the moneyed few over the industrious and uniformed mass of the people. Every new regulation concerning commerce or revenue, or in any way affecting the value of the different species of property, presents a new harvest to those who watch the change and can trace its consequences, a harvest reared not by themselves, but by the toils and cares of the great body of their fellow citizens. This is a state in which it may be said with some truth that laws are made for the few, not the many." End quote. Finally, a lack of stability in policymaking on Madison's account would cause people to be more cautious about investing in the future, quoting Madison on this, quote, What prudent merchant would hazard his fortunes in any new branch of commerce when he knows not but that his plans may be rendered unlawful before they can be executed? What farmer or manufacturer will lay himself out for the encouragement given to any particular cultivation or establishment when he can have no assurance that his preparatory labors and advances will not render him a victim to an inconstant government. In a word, no great improvement or laudable enterprise can go forward which requires the auspices of a steady system of national policy. End quote. Finally, Madison pointed to an emotional consequence of such political or legal instability. Quoting Madison, quote, but the most deplorable effect of all is that diminution of attachment and reverence which steals into the hearts of the people towards a political system which portrays so many marks of infirmity and disappoints so many of their flattering hopes. No government, any more than an individual, will long be respected without being truly respectable, nor be truly respectable without possessing a certain portion of order and stability." End quote. We take a moment at the end of these podcasts to talk about the relevance of the essay under review to politics in the present and in the future. One point that Madison made in this essay may reflect a concern about the quantity of laws, or, as Madison characterized it, their volume, quoting Madison here, quote, It will be of little avail to the people that the laws are made by men of their own choice if the laws be so voluminous that they cannot be read, or so incoherent that they cannot be understood, if they be repealed or revised before they are promulgated or undergo such incessant changes that no man, who knows what the law is today, can guess what it will be tomorrow. It would seem to go without saying that there are many more federal laws today than there were in the early republic. It seems reasonable to claim that the laws are, to quote Madison, quote, so voluminous that they cannot be read, end quote. 
To be sure, the government does many things today that it did not do in the 18th century. Much of the argument in Federalist 62 focuses on ill-advised lawmaking or instability in lawmaking. However, repeal and revision are elements of instability. So even if one thinks that the laws are too voluminous, there may not be an obvious way to address that based on the argument offered in Federalist 62. Thank you for listening to the Rights and Liberties Podcast. For more about the Sunwater Institute, please visit our website at sunwater.org.